0: From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping Virginia. This is Revolution of Military Affairs, a podcast about war and warfare, and I'm your host, Amos Fox. On today's episode of Revolution of Military Affairs, we're going to talk about centers of gravity. Centers of gravity are an idea in warfare that have grown out of the Napoleonic Wars uh, as a result of the writings of uh, Carl von Clausewitz and to a lesser extent, Antoine Jomini and his writings on decisive points. Despite being a product of the Napoleonic Wars, in which the conduct of war was vastly different than it is today, centers of gravity still seem to maintain a significant sway and hold in Western military thinking. While today it seems quite suitable to trash the thinking and writing of, of Antoine Jomini, uh, it is almost uh, anathema. Uh, to do the same to the works of Carl von Clausewitz, specifically his book on war. Nevertheless, I would argue that uh, we would not be good stewards of of conflict studies and military thinking if we didn't question ideas and question texts and question thinkers that may be outmoded to handle the challenges of warfare and the complexities of war today. And in this episode, of Revolution of Military Affairs. We're going to do just that. We're going to take Clausewitz and the Centers of Gravity idea to task and see if they're still suitable Clausewitz writes quote, out of these characteristics a certain center of gravity develops the hub of all power and movement on which everything depends that is the point against which all our energies should be directed small things always depend on great ones unimportant unimportant accidents on essentials this must guide our approach for Alexander Gustavus Adolphus Charles XII and Frederick the Great the center of gravity was their army. If the army had been destroyed, they would have gone down in history as failures. In countries subject to domestic strife, the center of gravity is generally the capital. In small countries that rely on large ones, it is usually the army of their protector. Among alliances, it is the continuity of interests, and in popular uprisings, it is the personality of the leaders and of public opinion. If the enemy is thrown off balance, he must not be given chance to recover. Blow after blow must be aimed in the same direction. The victor, in other words, must strike with all his strength, and not just against a fraction of the enemies. Not by taking things easy, not by taking things the easy way, using superior strength to filch some province preferring the security of this minor conquest to great success. But by constantly seeking out the center of his power, daring to win it all, will one really defeat the enemy. He continues, stating, still, no matter what the central feature of the enemy's power may be, the point on which your efforts must converge, the defeat and the destruction of his fighting force remains the best way to begin. And in every case will be a very significant feature of the campaign. Basing our comments on general experience, the acts we must consider most important for the defeat of an enemy are the following. One, destruction of his army, if it is at all significant. Two, seizure of his capital, if it is not not only the center of administration, but also that of social, professional, and political activity. And three, delivery of an effective blow against his principal ally, if that ally is more powerful than he so let's pick that apart the first component to the center of gravity the Klauswitz outlines is that of the uh the army and effectively destroying an adversary's army second is the capital um, and that's uh, generally if the country is subject to domestic strife and then in smaller countries it's uh, taking out their protector as Clausewitz says And so you could look at that as uh, busting up alliances or as you saw in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, how Bonaparte utilized the strategy of central position to strike at either the closest one or the weakest one first to separate those two and then be able to fight them uh, one by one after having occupied that that central position there. A couple of points here need examined uh, in, in even more detail. If you notice the predicate to the discussion of centers of gravity, was the mention of heads of state. So he said for Alexander of Russia, Gustav Adolphus, Charles the Twelfth, and Frederick the Great. Right, all European uh, monarchs. He links this, He links the center of gravity to something important to the monarch. So their army in the field, their capital, or their alliance that they've uh, joined in battle against another adversary. This is important to note because during this time uh, of armed conflict, heads of state generally led their armies into battle against other heads of state leading their armies into battle. In addition to the head of state leading their army into battle, many other lesser lights uh, within the royal family or nobles, uh, people with political skin in the game, were critical elements of command and leadership in the militaries at the time. Because of this, if they saw their army crushed on the battlefield or their capital seized or burned to the ground uh, in a conflict or their ally knocked out of the war, especially if they are the weaker element within that alliance, that had a, a decisive effect on that monarch, that head of state, or in the case of uh, you know the Russians at, uh, at uh, Austerlitz, for instance, Alexander wasn't leading the army in battle but he was on the battlefield and so when he saw his army crushed at the at the pratzen heights there in austerlitz that had a a decisive cognitive effect on him and caused him to this is the context in which Clausewitz's idea of of centers of gravity uh, came from it came from writing about wars in which heads of states accompanied and or led their armies on the battlefield, and therefore the center of gravity at the time, the thing that the head of state had to maintain was either his army, his capital, or his allies, or a combination thereof. And so it made sense to use that analogy. And I'm not gonna get into the whole uh, discussion on the philosophies of the day uh, and how uh, Clausewitz was using the philosophies of the day to explain Phenomena, I think it's uh, it's just as useful because that in many cases is what a lot of folks focus on when they talk about centers of gravity and Clausewitzian thought and his interpretations of Napoleonic warfare, and I think it's it's more germane and overlooked uh, in many cases, not even in many cases it's it's overlooked, almost in principle, that the heads of state, the relationship between the heads of state being on the battlefield and the effect on their army or the effect on their capital or the effect on their alliance is where the power of the idea of centers of gravity came from. And I won't dispute the fact that uh, the concept made sense at the time, given those three conditions, uh, as they relate to a head of state leading their military on the, on the, on the field of battle. Uh, however, I will make the case that that term is uh, no longer useful Uh, in today's period of armed conflict. So if the period of armed conflict has changed significantly, what is the difference? The main difference is that in the past, especially in the Napoleonic era, warfare was much more mechanical than it is today. It had far less of a systems theory, systems design, systems approach to it. And it was very much more like the inner workings of a clock where it was a closed system that operated based off, again, the head of state, you know, being that main spring that ran the clock. And if you were able to do something to destroy the inner workings of that mechanism, you know, workings of that uh, political entity and their military, then you could cause that mechanism uh, to fall apart. Today that's not the case. Today we have open and adaptive systems that uh, interact with the environment in far more uh, tangible and substantial ways than they did in the past. And this is the biggest difference between uh, the period in which uh, Napoleon fought, fought in and up to, uh, to modern times. And you see that the change away from that uh, over time To understand why centers of gravity are not suited for today, you have to understand um, systems theory, right? And so this is a uh, field of study that I find very, very important to understanding modern arm, uh, armed conflict. A big part of this is because uh, systems theory defines two types of systems, open and closed systems. And I think these, uh, these are great analogies for how and why systems operate different today than they did in the past and why some of these old ideas, such as the center of gravity, aren't suited for today. And so I'm gonna mention uh, two primary books and two primary thinkers that I think are really important to understanding systems theory. Uh, The first, and I'm horrible uh, with non-English, non-American names, so bear with me, but the first is uh, the book is titled "Systems: uh, General Systems Theory, Foundations, Development, and Applications, and it's by Ludwig von Bertoffele. And uh, it's it's one of the first books that really does a, a good job of outlining the idea of systems theory. And then the next book I'm going to recommend here, and, and I think is invaluable to understanding systems theory, is uh, Donella Meadows' Thinking in Systems, a Primer. Uh, General Systems Theory is a much older book. It's kind of the uh, precursor to the to the school of thought in many ways. It was published in 1968. Uh, and then De- uh, Danella Meadows' book, Thinking and Systems was published 2008. And so its uh, I think it's a terrific update to the ideas. But the important thing to understand on why centers of gravity aren't applicable today is because centers of gravity are more attuned to operating with closed system and not an open system. And so an open system is a, And this is according to uh, Ludwig Bertel anfi again, apologies for for butchering his last name, but he says, and a quote, an open system is defined as a system in exchange of matter with its environment, presenting important, uh, correction, presenting import and export, building up and breaking down of its own material components. And so the key idea there is that uh, open systems interact with their environment, whereas closed systems Uh, do not do so. And then he also continues and says that under certain conditions open systems approach a time independent state, the so-called steady state. The steady state is maintained, maintained in distance from true equilibrium and therefore is capable of doing work and it is the case in living systems in contrast to systems in equilibrium. The steady state shows remarkable regulatory characteristics which become evident particularly in its equifin- equifinality. If a steady state is reached in an open system, it is independent of the initial conditions and determined only by the system's parameters, that is, the rates of reaction and transportation. Point on steady state and open systems interacting with their environment is 100% the, the reason that COGS are not useful today, right? So in the past, perhaps, um, in these less open systems, you just had an individual in charge and, 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 the, and the environment was and the military capabilities and intelligence capabilities, generally speaking, were far more challenging to interact with the environment. Whereas today you have many more timely feedback loops that can uh, generate, in many cases, better information about what's going on and thus allow the system to regulate itself. And that gets to a, another important idea with open systems. An open system may actively tend towards a state of higher organization. That is, it, it may pass from a lower to higher state of order, order owing to the condition in the system conditions in the system. A feedback mechanism can reactively reach a state of higher organization owing to learning. That is, feedback into the system. And so again, this is uh, this is important. So closed systems tend towards disorder, right? So he calls uh, entropy the arrow of time, and so that drags many uh, closed systems to disorder, whereas open systems are less prone to entropy because they're actively trying to seek that higher state of organization. And so they're continually interacting with the external environment as well as monitoring their own internal systems, their own internal workings and mechanisms, and their own internal organization to make sure that they are appropriately accounting for changes within the environment. And so, the other thing with that, too, that they point out is open systems uh, practice the idea of self-regulation, and that's the basic model, uh, a circular process where part of the output is monitored back and information on the primary preliminary outcome of the response uh, into the input, thus making the system self-regulating it, be it in the sense of maintaining a certain set of variables or steering towards a desired goal. And so that's the other important thing to remember when we're thinking about open systems is that they're always seeking that steady state equilibrium uh, position to stay alive and continue operating. They're not looking to uh, to go out there and just die or be, or be eradicated. And so they will do things um, that allow them to do so. So let's say if there's a certain part of that organization, that system, that's uh, putting a huge drain on the rest of the system, Uh, It will kill off parts of those systems or turn off parts of uh, the systems so that uh, it doesn't hurt the greater whole. And so this is why I think it's really important to understand systems theory, because in many cases, in most cases, I would argue, uh, states, non-state actors, um, they all operate today as an open system. They have... Uh, Feedback mechanisms, they're looking for self-preservation first and foremost. Their uh, self-preservation and feedback mechanisms operate together to maintain or to try and maintain stasis and steady state within that system. And so in the past, uh, you know, prior eras when it was far more mechanical as opposed to systems-oriented, that dynamic didn't quite exist to the degree that it does today. In addition to that, and as part of that, uh, systems today are far more uh, durable than they were in the past. In the past, you may have had massive mass armies, but again, the way that that army operated, the way that uh, that army supported head of state um, were different than how how they operate today. And today it's far more durable. The state isn't looking for its army to go out and be defeated. The state is looking for its army and I say army generally, it's military today. Uh, it's looking for its military to go out and thrive. All right, we're going to get back to the discussion on theory just for a little bit. We're going to talk to Nella Meadows and her book, Thinking in Systems, uh, because I think it does a great job of helping us understand uh, the ideas that underpin how a state's warfighting system or a non-state actor's warfighting system operates today. Meadows' first point on systems is that they uh, they can be self-organizing and are often self repairing over at least some degree of disruption. They heal themselves and they have an inherent uh, predilection for self-care and self-help. And so that's important to understand because in the past, systems generally didn't, and closed systems for that matter, don't have that capacity built into them. In addition to that, Meadow says that resilience is a key factor in open systems and systems that are able to to heal themselves and take care of themselves. She says, resilience is a measure of a system's ability to survive and persist in a variable environment. And this is a key point to understand when we talk about centers of gravity. This is because centers of gravity are based on the idea of of fragility and non-resilient systems. And so by open systems being resilient and able to survive and persist, while in contact with variability and in, in, in the environment, centers centers of gravity and that idea are, are are incongruent to that idea. Centers of gravity are built on the idea that you can go out, you can find a part of the enemy system, you can affect that uh, to a degree that the system will collapse or that you'll induce some sort of paralysis within the system that causes it to uh, to not be able to move forward, and that's just not not in line with contemporary systems thinking, nor uh, the way in which open systems work today. Suboptimization is another point that Meadows uh, highlights that is really important to understand when thinking about both systems thinking and centers of gravity and how those two ideas are are relatively incongruent today. Meadows writes that when a systems goals, correction, when a subsystems goals dominate the expense of the total systems goals, the resulting behavior is called suboptimization and so this idea of suboptimization in an open dynamic system today is overcome in generally uh, generally speaking through the use of feedback mechanisms and the system being aware and sensing and learning about its environment learning about itself and finding ways to offset suboptimization when it occurs the idea of centers of gravity, on the other hand, is built almost in the exact opposite way. Uh, it's predicated on this belief that there, there is an inherent flaw within a, a closed system and that if you go out and attack this closed system, you can cause that entire total system to fall apart. And if we go back to John Warden's five rings theory that was hot uh, during the, the, the Gulf War time period, In his paper, he talks about um, the human body as an analogy for the system. And this is, I think, part of where we got this idea wrong too as we tried to modernize it. The human body, uh, the way he described it, was a closed system. And his principle, his five rings, were built on this idea of a closed system. And so while he tried to apply systems thinking, he applied systems thinking incorrectly. Uh, by applying it in the belief that the center of gravity was truly a thing. If he'd really been applying systems thinking correctly and talking about open systems correctly, he would have realized that the idea that striking uh, strategic paralysis by attacking these centers of gravity um, is not something that's actually applicable or doable. Further, I, uh, I would also, and I have also argued, centers of gravity are truly a thing it's not a plural thing. If a system has a center of gravity, it is likely just one thing that you have to go out and attack to cause the system to collapse. It's not multiple centers of gravity. And I think this is where we start really drifting. And this is where the idea really starts jumping the shark. When we start thinking and talking about multiple centers of gravity, I could spend all day talking about Meta's thinking in systems book. Cause it's, It's absolutely one of my favorite books, and I think it's indispensable for anybody that studies military thinking or military theory or uh, organizational theory and how organizations operate. However, uh, since we're short on time here, I'm going to go ahead and push on to briefly discussing how the U.S. Army thinks about centers of gravity. The U.S. Army, for its part, talks about centers of gravity in a couple different places, actually several, Uh, but I'm just going to go with the definition. I pulled out of Field Manual 1-02.1, which is the Operational Terms Manual. And this was updated uh, in March of 2021. So this is the most up-to-date definition the U.S. Army has. The Army defines the center of gravity as the source of power that provides moral or physical strength, freedom of action, or the will to act. Now the interesting thing about that definition is that uh, the, the variables it discusses are the, um, the its source of power, right It gives a force the moral or physical strength to act, freedom of action, the source of power for the freedom of action, or the source of power that provides uh, its will to act. And so that's interesting because when you look at most centers of gravity analysis uh, that are conducted in any kind of unit, they usually break it down into a quad chart. Uh, again probably an oversimplification of the idea if it were actually useful and they talk uh, centers of gravity in terms of critical capabilities critical requirements and critical vulnerabilities and in doing so the critical vulnerabilities are usually what are identified as the centers of gravity now here from a causal standpoint and from a logic standpoint is another uh, another place that I don't Think that centers of gravity actually make much sense in the, in the military sense. Uh, if we say the critical vulnerability is the center of gravity, uh, that, that's illogical because in the definition of center of gravity it's, it specifically states that a center of gravity is a source of power. It seems disingenuous to think that something can both be a source of power yet at the same time a critical vulnerability. And if something were such a vulnerability, it would likely also be protected to a degree that whatever package uh, that thing consists of would not be in a vulnerable state. I think that that's a key point to understand when when examining centers of gravity and doing a basic center of gravity gravity analysis uh, like you'd see taught at a staff college somewhere. In addition to that, when you press the issue, a lot of times uh, you'll find individuals say that centers of gravity okay, you got me, it doesn't really make sense because of what you're saying about systems theory. However, it's a good tool for targeting. And so I've heard this many, many times where uh, when you get in a debate about the utility of centers of gravity and you talk through systems thinking and systems theory and you've convinced uh, the person that you're talking with that centers of gravity aren't necessarily a useful tool, they'll fall back on that. It's helpful for targeting. And so again, that's where this quad chart breakdown of centers of gravity analysis is also a bit illogical and doesn't pass the, uh, the sniff test, in my opinion. Because again, if you're just uh, if you're just breaking it down into these these quads and using it as a targeting tool, it's not truly a center of gravity. You've just created a targeting list, and uh, I think this further contributes to part of the problem with a lot of approaches and thinking about modern war and that uh, we've turned so much of the thinking about warfare into a targeting process because of long range strike and the ability to see far and shoot far. And so again, this is another way, another area in which I think that centers of gravity are not necessarily a useful tool when thinking about uh, war and warfare today. Thank you for joining us on Revolution and Military Affairs today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion on Centers of Gravity. Again, I bring this discussion up and I talk about some of these points, um, not to thumb my nose at hitting uh, grain military thinking, but to, to foster discussion, to get people thinking, uh, to get us to question uh, what it is we think and why we think, and if we're just carrying on old ideas for the sake of carrying on old ideas when in actuality, uh, the reality of war has has shifted and we need to start thinking about new approaches and new ways of doing things. So again, uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you listening. Uh, please uh, share this episode and our others uh, with your friends. And here in the upcoming weeks, we have uh, some really good guests coming on. I think you'll really enjoy them. And so make sure you uh, continue to listen and uh, over the next few, next few weeks, I think you'll be, uh, pleasantly surprised with who we have on so again thank you uh for listening to revolution of military affairs and again i'd just like to remind everybody that we should be uh, engaging in the marketplace of ideas and not residing in zones of comfort that we've been indoctrinated in in terms of how we think about war and warfare and lastly to close i'd be remiss if i didn't remind the audience that the science of war exceeds the bounds of ideology